You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the broadcast. Of course, you are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting, and I'm your host, as usual, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And yes, I am coming to you from the sunny climes of western Japan, where, yes, it is December 21st, 2012, and it has just passed 12 noon. We are now more than halfway through the day, and I can't see the the horsemen of the apocalypse riding across the plains quite yet, and I can't quite see the uh, the, the earth swallowing up people whole and uh, belching out uh, toxic fumes afterwards. So I don't know if the apocalypse is, is starting somewhere else right now, but I do have someone on the line from Australia who is one hour ahead of us. It's already 1 p.m. there, so perhaps we can get a breaking update on the end of the world. We're talking to Brock West tonight of the Asia-Pacific Perspective blog at AP dash perspective.blogspot.com, which is a mouthful, but I will, of course, put the link in the show notes for tonight's episode, assuming there is going to be show notes and assuming the world will not suddenly evaporate in the next few hours. But Brock, uh, how are things there in, in Australia today? Well, James, as you can imagine, the uh, world's media has descended upon Australia here on the uh, eastern side of the coast where I live. And uh, let me just quickly look at the window... Uh, yeah, sunny and blue skies as far as the eye can see. So, uh. I don't understand it. What's going on? Are, are, are people starting to turn into, uh, I don't know, airy, uh, crystal magnet, uh, forces of light yet? Or is that, that that's later in the program? Uh, that must be, a, that must be when the sun goes down and the. Oh, uh, right, yeah. Uh, because, I mean, there's also a zombie apocalypse that we've got to look out for as well, so. Oh, I, yeah, I forgot about that. Wow. Oh, well. <laughs> At any rate, Brock, Brock, let's be serious for a moment. We will actually talk a little bit more about that uh, 2012 stuff a little bit later on. But first, let's let's uh, reintroduce you to the audience. You have been on the program before, and I've uh, also featured our video that we did here in Japan. But for people who don't know, Brock West is there in Australia. He is doing the Asia Pacific Perspective blog, which is a valuable resource on this region of the world, which, as we've talked about before, is becoming more and more important. So first of all, before we get into the deep geopolitical analysis, how are things, generally speaking, there for you in Australia? Well, you know, Australia is always a uh, beautiful country. Uh, there are a few pressing issues going on. Obviously, uh, there's a couple of uh, scandals going on with the uh, customs border security, but we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. But, you know, generally things are pretty good here. Um, well, you just flew in from Japan just uh, a month or two ago, and uh, tell us a little bit about your trip. Oh, the trip was amazing. You know, uh, as hopefully many of your listeners and, and or subscribers have seen, uh, I've been a long-time fan and uh, lover of all things Japanese, and uh, it, was a really, it was a real special treat to uh, go over there and... Uh, you know, we went for a whole month, which was, you know, a very good amount of time to kind of get my teeth sunk into the culture and the way Japanese society operates. And, um, you know, I wasn't let down and everything that I expected, you know, there was, it was so much more. And uh, the, as, as I said in the video, the Japanese people were just so amazingly friendly and hospitable and the food was incredible. And, you know, catching up with you was one of the highlights. But it, it really is a beautiful country and, you know, it's coming through 
you know, still obviously everything with Fukushima and the new elections and stuff, but, you know, hopefully uh, it will at least pique people's interest to at least check out, you know, this part of the world. Exactly right. No, it is uh, it is a fascinating place in a lot of ways, and I understand you even got out to Akihabara there in Tokyo to uh, feed your geekdom. Yes, yeah, I did. Uh, you know, a lot of people there said it's not what it used to be, and they are right, I guess, but, you know, for a, a local Aussie boy like myself, it was a real eye-opener with the whole weird and wonderful maid cafe and things like that so um, uh what a strange strange country in so many ways but it is a fascinating place oh well, uh, at any rate let's take a short break we're coming up against our first break once again we're talking to brock west i hope you will go to ap-perspective.blogspot.com if you haven't yet done so we're going to be going through some of the stories that are posted up there so you can follow along at home but let's take a short breather and we'll be right back with more about brock west and the asia pacific region right after this Okay, friends, welcome back. Welcome back to Corporate Report Radio. Tonight, once again, we're talking to Brock West of the Asia-Pacific Perspective blog about all of the things that are happening in the Asia-Pacific region, or at least as many of them as we can fit into one hour of radio broadcasting. And there is a lot going on, so I hope you are keeping up to date with this blog. So much very important information coming out, and it does have an RSS feed for people who are interested in keeping up to date with all the latest posts as they get posted. Speaking of which, just earlier... Earlier today, we had a new post, a regional wrap-up, um, which is a rundown of all sorts of different issues. Uh, Brock, for people who haven't checked out the blog yet, perhaps you can just introduce them to what the regional wrap-up is all about, and then we'll get into this one specifically. Sure thing. Well, the uh, regional wrap-up is basically just, you know, uh, once a week, sometimes once every two weeks, I just try and gather together all uh, important stories, both from the... Uh, mainstream side and from the alternative uh, media world and just, you know, put them in one place for everybody so it's nice and easy and quick and, you know, I know everyone's getting busier and busier these days so it's, you know, it's a it's a place where someone can go and they just want to get a quick rundown um, of what's happening in the region. You know, usually I put up uh, some featured videos, some featured articles which I think are important um, so, and then go down, link to some stories from each part of the region and then, you know, from time to time, I'll put up a music video, uh, sometimes with a message, but the recent one I put up today has got a bit of a uh, holiday cheer to it. So, Excellent. Well, let's get into this most recent one that you've just uh, posted, The Seasons Upon Us, and there's a lot of good info in here. So uh, I don't know where you want to start, but anywhere you want. Sure. Well, uh, up the top there, we've got the featured video, which you uh, spoke about earlier in the week from uh, Press for Truth and always great work that comes out of there by Dan Dix and um, you know that video really really uh, hit me hard and in a, in a good way also um, moving down we've got a couple of featured articles there uh, one from Al Jazeera called the uh, rise and fall of Japan's Democratic Party and um, I think in the next segment you and I are going to go into the uh, Japanese elections um, just below that we've got the uh, article from Niall Bowie, which you spoke of yesterday, I think it was, uh, North Korea's Socialist Winter, Engagement or Isolation, which is a brilliant story. I've gone through that a couple of times now and, uh, you know, Niall's really doing some great work, so I'm also hoping that people will uh, check out his blog as well. Um, moving down to the actual uh, specific regions, we've got the uh, Air Canada unleashes Asia-Pacific expansion and you and I were talking just before the, uh, we went live here about how hopefully that will, at least for Canadians, make the trip to our region a little bit uh, 
easier, if you could say. Uh, I know it's a pretty brutal flight at the moment, but um, you can definitely see that even not only militarily but uh, commercially and uh, that things are really, really heating up here in the region. Uh, what's your take on this, James? I think that's a good sign of, that's probably one of the best signs you can get of what kind of interest there is between different parts of the globe. It's uh, commercial air traffic and obviously increasing traffic down to, to your part of the world. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, we're always open for more tourists here in Australia because we're, we're quite a large country. So uh, any Canadians out there of your native homeland, please uh, take advantage of this. So uh, uh, That'll be me one day, I promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to it. Um, moving down a little bit, we've got the, uh, from China, we've got, uh, the treat US strategy of rebalance in Asia Pacific rationally. Um, you know, I've been kind of going in and out a little bit of how China is kind of reacting to this story. And it really is fascinating to me. Uh, now, of course, this comes from the People's Daily Online, which is obviously a, uh, state run newspaper. But, um, just reading a couple of paragraphs here, um, China was faced with challenges in 2012, mainly due to the United States' strategy of rebalance in the Asia-Pacific and the strategic expansion in the region. Firstly, the United States boosted the geostrategic pressure on China by strengthening the military alliance in the region, expanding military bases, like we spoke of last time here in Australia, um, de- deploying literal warships and advanced strategic uh, reconnaissance equipment, improving the anti-missile system, conducting large-scale military exercises, le- exercises frequently near the territorial Sea of China and implementing uh, surveillance to China at close range. Um, James, with the new leadership in China, you know, the, well, the transition, I guess you could call, um, do you see any real geopolitical uh, change in course here in terms of how the Chinese are going to deal with the United States? Excellent question. I don't know enough about Xi Jinping and where he's going to take things to be able to say or whether he'll actually be a person who wields that type of authority or whether it will be more of a consensus type thing, how reformist they are. I think there's a lot that's up in the air and I've heard different people with their takes on it, but I'm reserving judgment at the moment. But I find this particular article really interesting because uh, if people go and actually read down onto the second page, they start talking about um, basically how this is going to affect China-U.S. relations. And the the message is quite interesting because it, they're ultimately saying, yes, it is kind of more of a shift towards this region, and it is obviously meant to cr- provide a counterbalance to China. But at the same time, it's uh, the, the growing U.S.-Japan uh, J- alliance might do some go some way towards limiting Japan's remilitarization efforts and their uh, their newfound quest for developing nuclear weapons, etc., so it is interesting to see, because as you say, the People's Daily, obviously a mouthpiece for the Chinese uh, government generally, and it seems like they're trying to play down the, the military confrontation with the U.S. It's more like they're trying to say, well, this might actually be a, a chance for, for growing cooperation between China and the U.S. That's, a, that's an interesting take and not what I would have expected. So it does, I mean, I don't know to the extent to which this might represent a trend in the next uh, wave of leadership in China, but if it does, I mean, that's an interesting take on it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and also to go to the other side of the coin, there you've obviously uh, know about the well-known, documented, uh, you know, debt that China has, you know, U.S. debt that uh, is in the possession of China. You know, so um, that's a whole other kettle of fish there as well. You know, so that's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out in the coming, you know. Uh, months, years, decades. That's right. But the Federal Reserve did overtake China as the largest holder of U.S. debt back in 2010. And now that they're 
doing $85 billion a month of unsterilized quantitative easing. It means that uh, the Fed is going to add a trillion dollars of U.S. debt in the next year uh, onto its asset books, which is just incredible to think about. So uh, I think they've maybe China doesn't have the uh, the nuclear option on the dollar that they once did because the Fed's already detonating it themselves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, uh, economic games, aren't they fun? Um, just moving down here in the regional wrap-up, I just want to briefly touch on uh, Japan before we go to the next break. Um, obviously, we've had the Japanese elections, which have kind of dominated the headlines, at least I know, over in Japan. Um, but coming out of the always excellent blog, um, X, 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 excuse me, XXKF, uh, which I know you're a uh, constant, uh, a frequent visitor of, um, government should tell people 20 millisieverts exposure per year is safe. And, uh, yeah, we can already see with the uh, new LDP government in power that uh, the, uh, they're living up to their hawkish reputation and uh, already sticking their arms out and kind of uh, wagging the finger of big government on the Japanese people. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, just below that there is also um, this comes from Shinzo Abe, uh, the you know, soon-to-be-elected prime minister. Uh, new nuclear plants possible. Uh, if rigid, uh, in safe locations. And uh, considering there's a, I heard today on NHK World that um, a, they've, they've discovered a second fault line under a, another nuclear pen in the, in the uh, Tohoku region, James, is that correct? Uh, yes, it is. It just uh, the, the good news just keeps on coming for the people of Japan. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. But yes, it is a ridiculous thing for uh, the incoming prime minister to say, and I think it goes completely against Japanese public sentiment. But... There you go. They voted him into power, or nominally so. So there you go. This is what I think we can expect in the course of the Abe administration. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's going to be, you know, as with China and um, as with the new South Korean president, it's going to be very, inter- very interesting to see uh, how these new uh, leadership and uh, governments uh, react and uh, cooperate together or not cooperate together. Mm-hmm. Um, just moving down a little bit further there, we go to uh, a region that both you and I will uh, happily plead ignorance to, but that's Myanmar, and um, formerly of Burma, and um, coming out of the always excellent stratrisks.com with Michael Vale, um, US to open military ties with Myanmar. So once again, you know, there doesn't seem to be a corner of the region at the moment that the US isn't sticking its uh, proverbial fingers in, into. Um, and just reading quickly uh, from this post... The United States is poised to take nascent steps to open up military ties with Myanmar as a way of bolstering political reforms undertaken by the former state, a U.S. defense official said on Wednesday. The Pentagon said the cooperation likely would take the form of non-lethal, in quotation marks, training for Myanmar officers focusing on humanitarian assistance. Hmm, that's a, where have I heard that mean before? Uh, military medicine and defense reform, the official who spoke on condition of... An- um, anonymousness told reporters, uh, just reading down a little bit, relations between the two countries have undergone a sea change since Myanmar's ruling military c- ceded power last year. Um, a couple of weeks ago from, uh, I believe it was from Land Destroyer, uh, there was a great article called the uh, Obama's Tour of Shame here. And it goes into uh, three stops on the American Tour of Shame and one of them being Myanmar and just actually what has happened with the military coup over there and how the United States has been essentially funding that coup and 
I would uh, implore people to go and check out that article because, as you've mentioned many, many times, uh, anything coming out of Land Destroyer and Tony Gut, uh, Catalucci is uh, worth the read. Indeed so, and I think he knows more about the Myanmar situation in particular than I do, for sure. And uh, he's done a lot of work on Aung San Suu Kyi, who has been held up as the uh, the Myanmar opposition leader and this uh, this basically saint on earth, etc. But I think he's exposed some of the ties that are creating that myth, and I think there's more to it. So I hope people will go to Land Destroyer to check out his work on, the, on that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and... Obviously, just uh, a couple more there. We've got Malaysia there, which uh, the article is Malaysia Poised for Pivotal Poles, and which I'm sure uh, Noah Bowie will hopefully be all all over like a uh, like a bad rash. And, <laughs> and uh, finally, South Korea there with uh, the new president promising a new era for the Korean Peninsula, which is definitely going to be interesting to see given the uh, North Korean activities of late. Exactly right. All right, we're coming up against the next break. Let's take a short breather. We'll be right back. If you love your Uncle Sam, bring him home, bring him home, my girls and boys in the Great friends, welcome back. Welcome back to the program. Once again, this is Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight, we're talking to Brock West of the Asia Pacific Perspective blog at ap-perspective.com. Also at... Uh, on Twitter, at AP underscore perspective. So I hope people will check that out. And tonight we're going over all sorts of things from the Asia-Pacific region, and I wanted to hit on something close to home here for me, which is the recent Japanese election, which we talked about briefly there in that first segment, but let's get into it a little bit more. So let's turn to some of the coverage on this uh, that you've got posted up on the blog. Sure thing. Well, this article comes out of uh, Al Jazeera. It, uh, the title is The Rise and Fall of Japan's Democratic Party. And uh, for people who have been following it uh, recently, it has been a pretty unspectacular uh, defeat for the uh, for the DPJ and uh, uh, former Prime Minister Yoshihiko Noda. Um, they were swept into power after, how long was it, James, 50 years or so of, uh, LP, uh, of uh, LDJ rule? Uh, LDP, I think, had been in power for something like uh, f- something like fifty of fifty-one years, or something along those lines. Yeah, so uh, they were booted out a few years ago, and uh, already we can see, obviously, with uh, there's been a lot of uh, not so good news to come out of Japan recently, and the uh, for for better or for worse, the Japanese people have definitely spoken here. And uh, just reading quickly from this article. Um, a brief stint in power has now been extinguished from Japan's Democrat after a landslide victory returned the long-ruling Conservatives to government. When the DPJ ascended to governance in 2009, analysts predicted a sea change in the country's politics. But with the LDP strong showing in Sunday's election, Japan appears to have again embraced the centre-right values that have dominated the nation for much of the past six decades. Um, just reading down a fair way down the article here, it's got a bit here under the US uh, and Japan tension. Um, which, which is what I'm really interested in here geopolitically. Uh, on top of the, uh, quote, on top of domestic concerns, there was trouble on the foreign policy front too. Uh, Hatayama wanted more of an equal relationship with the US and closer ties with important regional actors, especially China and South Korea. Uh, Mark Seldon, a senior research associate with the East Asia program, told Al Jazeera that Hatayama's vision required reducing Japan's dependence on the United States. 
however, of course, was met with much staunch opposition in the bureaucracy, notably from the foreign ministry. Um, a strong military presence in Japan has been the centerpiece of a U.S. strategy in East Asia. With the threat of Chinese military expansion, the Obama administration wanted Hatsuyama to come up with an alternative to the complete withdrawal of U.S. troops in Japan. Now, this is really interesting to me, James. Is there any chance at all that the U.S. is going to be withdrawing from Japan anytime soon, do you think? Absolutely not, and that was exactly the test of that. Uh, I think when Haruyama came into power in 2009, it was at about the same time as uh, as Obama. It was just a few months after he took power, and I think there was a similar type of feel that this was a change, this was going to be some big change, and I think similarly with Obama, we found that it was no change at all very quickly. And Haruyama, one of his key pledges had been the idea of getting the uh, U.S. troops out of Okinawa, and he was completely unable to do that, and that ultimately led to his resignation, I think, before he'd even been in power for one year. So that was the end of that, basically, DPJ pledge to really change, uh, the, you know, be a sea change in Japanese politics. And because of that failure, I don't think it's even politically on the table at this point. And certainly, the, I don't think the LDP is going to be raising that point. If anything, they're going to want to increase U.S. military cooperation. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, even... Even when uh, the uh, NATO administration was in power, we still saw a, you know quite a dramatic increase in the U.S. presence. Obviously, we had the uh, the uh, Osprey aircraft uh, being deployed there in Okinawa. You know, despite the massive protests and the uh, huge uh, public anger over that and their safety, and you know, rightly so, there are legitimate safety concerns about those aircraft. And of course, we've got the recently uh, announced uh, installation of these. Uh, uh, Radar systems, you could call X-band radar systems, that, of course, are not there to uh, monitor China or North Korea. You know, they're for uh, surveillance and, and other things like that. So, um, you know, we can see that even under NATO's administration, the agenda just keeps on trucking along. Unfortunately so, exactly right. And I, I, again, I think it was after Hadoyama had resigned that Naoto Kan came in and then Yoshihiko Noda, and I think they've just been drifting closer and closer towards kind of an LDP uh, course in politics anyway. So I think that at, at the end of the day, I think that it's just Japan basically returning back to status quo, which, again, shouldn't probably be particularly surprising for people because Japan is very much about uh, stability and status quo. So now they're just formalizing that with the LDP landslide. Yeah, well, it's common saying that uh, Japan doesn't really have a two-party system. It's kind of a 1.5. Yeah, if that. <laughs> if yeah, no, it's it's more about the fa- fighting for the, the factions inside the LDP. Yes, definitely, definitely. So uh, just quickly, uh, also we have saw uh, recently that there's still obviously the uh, territorial tensions going on in the Senkaku Sea, and we had the uh, Japan actually scramble... Uh, it's, uh, some fighter jets to this uh, mystery plane that was over in the in the uh, territorial waters as well. So uh, things are still really on a knife edge there as well. So right, I saw the headline about that, but I think when I looked into it, it was more it was a prop plane or something. It wasn't really a, like a fighter jet or something that it, China had sent over. It was just some random plane. But uh, but yes, it was definitely a breach of the airspace there that uh, that Japan reacted to quite quickly. It sounds like the old style Cold War, you know, air defense tests that they used to do between Russians and the, the Americans. Yes, definitely. So uh, we're definitely keeping a close eye on that uh, on that region. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on, and we'll take a short breather. We'll be right back with more on the Asia Pacific perspective right after these messages.
All right, welcome back to the broadcast, friends. We are back here live this Thursday night slash Friday afternoon, depending where you are in the world. Once again, broadcasting to you from the end of the world, 21st of December 2012 here in Japan and in Australia, where so far nothing has happened. But uh, more on that later. Let's continue breaking things down in the Asia-Pacific region with our guest, Brock West. And let's take a look at some uh, nuclear news that's happening in the region that's not related to Fukushima. Sure. Well, uh, during uh, my and my wife's trip to Japan, we uh, paid a visit to the uh, uh, Hiroshima Peace Park. And, uh, yeah, you know, I spoke to you just as we uh, parted ways when we met. And, uh, you know, you said to me that it's something you have to do, but it's, you know, not something you obviously enjoy. And, uh if uh, any of the listeners out there are in that part of the world, it really is something that I would recommend. Uh, it is obviously very confronting um, and, you know, really hit home even more than ever, you know, how important it is that we all stay informed and vigilant about the dangers of nuclear war and also, you know, we put aside the rhetoric and we, you know, we call out the uh, the warmongers and the sabler rattlers in our, in our governments these days that are a... Uh, Promoting nuclear war, i.e. Uh, Israel, uh, America, and stuff like that, and um, we get back to the fundamentals of how horrific this is, and you know the real dire consequences that you know that the world would face uh, should someone drop the bomb again. That's right, and uh, let me just echo that statement for anyone who comes to this part of the world. You have to go to the Hiroshima Peace Park, and it is uh, it is quite an experience, and it's quite a thing to confront the incineration, the evaporation of tens of thousands of lives in a moment. And uh, and I like how the Peace Park doesn't politicize it. It's not trying to make any excuses for Japan's militarism or anything like that. It's not about the politics. It's about it's about how many people just suddenly were taken off the face of the earth in one second because of uh, that that uh, horrific technology. But um, it's quite a thing to behold. And, of course, this relates to a post you had up the other day from globalresearch.ca, America's nuclear weapons tests, the truth is a bitter pill. Yeah, uh, obviously we've, we're all well aware of the uh, cyber rattling that's going on right now with uh, not only Iran but also recently North Korea as well with their recent uh, missile-slash-rocket-slash-satellite uh, launch. Um, but uh, this story coming out of the uh, a site you know very well and are a part of, uh, the always fantastic globalresearch.ca, uh, quote, On December 13, North Korea's state-run news agency issued a two-sentence statement via radio joining critics in Iran and Japan uh, and anti-nuclear activists who had condemned the U.S.'s December 5th subcritical nuclear experiment codenamed Pollux. The critical part of the North Korean statement, as translated by BBC News Monitoring Service, reads, Despite strong objection and denunciation from the world community, the United States is continuously and frantically clinging on to carrying out nuclear tests for developing new nuclear weapons. There are elements of truth and mysteries in this statement from North Korea. Let's start with the mysteries. Contrary to misleading statements made in blogs and by some on the international media, the recent subcritical experiment was not a nuclear test, nor did it lead to any leaked radiation. These tests occur in a fortified containment in an underground tunnel that prevents the possibility of an accidental release. Um, just reading down a little bit here, this is quite a long article, so I will encourage everyone to either read it from AP Perspective or go to the source at Global Research. Uh, just reading on here. Uh, however, critics of the U.S. program allege that hundreds and hundreds of stockpile stewardship experiments conducted since the U.S. signed the CT, 
BT, which... Uh, a comprehensive test ban treaty. Thank you very much. Uh, and the fact that most of them are duplicate experiments of precursor ones suggest that the program is not or is not or not any longer credible. The thought is that the program is either the, a big boondoggle or the Department of Energy is secretly designing new nuclear weapons. James, what's your take on this? Well, uh, e- either way, it's quite a, a disturbing story, isn't it? And um, unfortunately, yes, again, for people who, who don't know about the CDBT or the way that uh, the U.S. has basically proceeded in violation of it, it shouldn't really be a surprise given all of the other types of violations that we've seen of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and other such treaties, the, the chemical weapons bans, etc. So unfortunately, just more U.S. exceptionalism. And again, it's uh, it's a sad thing when you have to get truths as well as mistruths from North Korean statements about U- U.S. Uh, nuclear tests. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's uh, <laughs> when you're getting your uh, information from the uh, so-called enemy, but you know who do you really trust? So that's what. Once again, it's up to people not to believe myself or your good self. It's to go out there and uh, critically inform yourself and uh, you know remain vigilant. That's pretty much it. Well, let's uh, let's switch over to your part of the the world. Let's talk a little bit about Australia and an interesting story that's breaking. Yeah, this story is uh, currently developing as we speak. Um, it first broke a couple of days ago. Um, the title, uh, the headline is "Customs Drugs Charges Rock Public Confidence." Uh, basically, in an AFP sting, an Australian Federal Police sting, uh, customs officials have been caught red-handed. Uh, not only shipping in uh, narcotics, but also firearms as well. Um, just reading from this story here, which we will take from the Daily Telegraph. Uh, what makes the jaw-dropping allegations of seriously corrupt activities within the Australian Customs and Border Protection Service so cruelly painful is the sense of betrayal of public trust if those allegations turn out to be true, which they apparently seem to be as they've already uh, arrested at least eight, I think, is the last count. And uh, just reading on here, we expect customs officers to be stern, grim and even humorless, as long as they are also honest. But if members of the customs service, trusted insiders, have crossed the line and gone to the dark side, there will be a justifiable sense of duplicity and treachery. When we, the public, start to look with suspicion at those we should be able to trust, the foundations of our society begin to erode. And uh, I spoke about this with you yesterday, James, and your response was, uh, surprise, surprise, and... Um, I'll let everyone read the rest of the story here, but um, I'll definitely be keeping a uh, close eye on this story as it develops. But the only thing that, come, that came to mind for me really was, oh, wow, another uh, state-run agency has been caught bringing in drugs, bringing in arms, and once again, you know, there's uh, already calls for uh, across-the-board reforms, but we all know what uh, government across-the-board reforms mean. <laughs> Reform, one of those uh, double-speak words. Exactly right. Well, I, I, what I found interesting when we were talking about this the other day in preparation for today's uh, today's conversation, you were talking about the the basically the pro- predictive programming indoctrination that Australians have been under for a while about their their border services and their other you know men in blue who are supposed to be the thin blue line or whatever. Tell us about the uh, the kind of general Australian sentiment about these types of people. Yeah, there's a um, there's a disturbing trend that I've noticed recently uh, here in Australia, and uh, you know, and I'm probably going to get raked over the coals by my friends and family if they hear this, because in Australia it's not really it's not really done that you uh, openly criticise the police force, a or the military. Um, you know, politicians are open, are cannon fodder, really, but that's just because they're so 
they're so ridiculous in their nature. But, um, you know, there's been a disturbing trend of a huge amount of uh, predictive programming TV shows, like, you know, with titles like Border Security, Australia's Frontline, and Send In the Dogs, which is a show where, you know, police officers are going in and in front of the whole, you know, you know cameras blazing with uh, police dogs and busting people and, um, you know, and there's also actually a show called Customs, you know, so... I really just urge people, and especially the Australians in the audience listening, to just, you know, question what is being shown on the television and understand that it is, there is a psychological uh, operation going on pretty much any given time now, you know, and we're even seeing, I, I saw it last week actually, tragically a, a police officer was killed uh, in the line of duty and, of course, you know, that is always tragic and, uh, I, you know, it's the, I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy. But we're seeing now that uh, police uh, funerals are being run on the 24-hour news services pretty much from start to finish, which, are, which I find a really kind of 1984 Orwellian trend, you know, of uh, when someone of the state is uh, killed or injured in the line of duty, it is, it is uh, headline news for days and days and days. And uh, it made me think of another story recently where a, uh, a Brazilian tourist who... Uh, Apparently, uh, allegedly stole a packet of biscuits, was uh, tasered 11 times, uh, 11 or 14 times by at least a dozen police officers. And it just made me wonder, you know, where's his funeral uh, on the television? Uh, It's quite a disturbing trend, and I hope all the Aussies out there are remaining uh, on top of it and, you know, are constantly questioning what's going on because... There's one thing's for sure, we cannot trust our uh, corporate state-run media, that's for sure. Well, that's true. And and I, if I can just reach out to the people who don't like to hear criticisms of, of the people who do put their lives on the line, and, and I do have respect for, for people who are in that system truly trying to make a difference. I'm not here trying to attack individual police officers or, or customs officials or anything of that sort. But uh, again, I would just draw people to part of this Daily Telegraph article where uh, it actually is quoting the, uh, the acting chief of the Austrian Customs and Border Protection Service, uh, Michael Pazzullo, and he says straight out, I'm not so naive as to think that criminal elements will not attempt to penetrate this service, its systems, and its staff, which is exactly the point. I mean, if we just go into some sort of mode where anyone who wears that uniform is completely, uh, you can deflect any and all criticism, then wouldn't that be exactly the place that criminals would like to try to get into? Because that would be the best place to go to be a criminal and to be absolved of any responsibility and never to be, uh, you know, looked upon suspiciously. So I think people have to be at, at least as unnaive as the the acting chief of the the border protection service himself who admits this is a place where criminals want to get in so that they can do things like running guns and running drugs into the country that's exactly right and uh just at the bottom of the story here i've got quite a few uh related articles because i really wanted to hit home the fact that this is not anything really new of you know uh authorities uh either a setting up people uh to go down or to you know uh, to bring in drugs, and you've pointed it out brilliantly over and over and over again on the Colbert Report, of, you know, obviously with the media connection and recently Fast and Furious, and of course, you know, everyone knows about Iran-Contra now, but also even here at home in Australia, you know, we've got the um, something that I just came across in this story, and uh, it's called The Expendable Project, uh, Chappelle Corby and the AFP, and for the uh, American listeners out there who don't know, uh, Chappelle Corby was a uh, an Australian girl who was... Uh, allegedly found to have uh, a boogie board bag full of uh, marijuana uh, when she went over to Bali. 
And, of course, uh, she was quickly sentenced and the Australian government really kind of sat on its hands and uh, did pretty much as little as it could. And there has been substantial evidence to say that, you know, she was merely a patsy uh, and this is part of a much larger uh, uh, international uh, drug ring, which we are, of course, seeing now with the busts of the customs officials, you know. So I, I would implore people to go and check that out as well. It is, a, it is quite a good documentary. It goes for about an hour and a half. Absolutely. Well, I haven't checked it out myself, but I'm definitely going to. That's a, it's an interesting story, so I want to check it out. But uh, let's let's switch gears, as unfortunately we're running out of time already. But let's switch gears a little. I know that uh, the the December 21st, 2012, What Will You Do video from Press for Truth that we ran here on the program the other day struck a chord with a number of listeners, um, and I'm glad to see that because it is such a great video. But uh, on that note, you pointed me to a music video that's, uh, that's popular in Australia at the moment. Tell people a little, little bit about this video. Yeah, it's just a video that's been getting around for a few months here in Australia, and um, I kind of didn't really take much notice, notice of it when I first heard it, but uh, given the date today, I thought it was a uh, quite a uh, appropriate title. The artist or the, the group is called Chance Waters, and the, uh, and the song is called uh, Maybe Tomorrow. And, um, yeah, it just kind of... Uh, Puts a positive spin, I guess, uh, on the whole silly, uh, the whole ridiculousness of the whole uh, mine apocalypse, 2012, December 21 thing, you know. And uh, it has been quite scary, uh, almost kind of uh, war of the world like kind of scenario here, where people are getting whipped up into a further, into a fervor, you know. And I really, uh, I really have been stunned at how how powerful even still to this day that even silly ridiculous stories like this can still gain so much traction in the That's uh, right, yeah. video. and this this video is so fun it's upbeat it's got a nice message so why don't we actually take a listen to this song once again this is called maybe tomorrow by chance waters Oh, okay. Actually, sorry. We don't have the clip ready for you. <laughs> That's completely my fault. Well, maybe we'll get it for you tomorrow. Ha ha ha. But let's explain a little bit about this for people out there who uh, are you now busily going to YouTube to try to check it out. Basically, they're, they're just uh, making a bit of light of the type of doomsday mentality that people get into, which, again, I think uh, also Press for Truth was doing quite well in that video that we listened to the other day, uh, December 21st, 2012, What Will You Do? Uh, 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 oh, we might actually have the clip ready. Is that ready? No. Okay. <laughs> Brock, let's t- let's talk a little bit about this. And uh, what's your own take on where things are going from here? I, of course, my own take is that uh, this is absolutely uh, not just silliness, but I think it represents the the deep. A deep, unsettling kind of uh, feeling that a lot of people have about what's going on, and I think they can coalesce that feeling into something. Oh, it must be something to do with the nature of the universe in 2012, etc. But uh, ultimately, as I said uh, on uh, the program yesterday, I think the future is what we make it. What's your take on on all of this? Yeah, um, as you as you pointed out brilliantly in the latest episode of uh, New World Next Week. People don't really seem to uh, pay attention to the important issues until it really hits home. And when these kind of uh, rumours and uh, ridiculous scenarios get popped up, people like to, you know, throw all these worries and fears into that and say, oh, it's just this or, you know, or it's just that. And um, once again, I really would just, it's not going to, you know, uh, unfortunately, this is a sad state of affairs with most people. I think that it's 
nothing is going to change until it hits home. But there, you know, there are solutions and there are ways to um, to get around this. But at the same time, you know, we do have to stay upbeat. We do have to stay positive because if we do get too down the doldrums, you know, uh, we're, we're not the best that we can be. And um, you know, that article, I'm uh, sorry, that video from Press for Truth really hit home when one of the guys said, uh, when one of the interviewees said, you know, uh, you need to do something that scares the crap out of you once in your life. And and I'll, I'll put my hand up right now and say that uh, doing this and public speaking is my greatest fear, but, you know, I was inspired by the likes of yourself and many, many others out there and the alternative media to do it. And it's been great, you know, and I'm loving every minute of it. And despite everything that is going on in the world, be happy and be kind, be vigilant and be informed. Couldn't have said it better myself. It's all about what we choose to do with our time on this planet, however long or short we have. And uh, whether the world's going to come to an end tomorrow or today or not, uh, I still want to look back at, at my life and say that I did something with my time here rather than just waiting for something to happen. So I think it's an important message, and hopefully uh, people can learn a little bit from this. And hopefully over the next 48 hours, more people will t- tune into this type of reality rather than waiting for doomsday predictions. But you never know. They have a strange way of continuing to come up time and time and time and time and time again. So we'll see what the next wave of hysteria is going to be about. On that note, let's take a short break. We'll be back to wrap things up with tonight's edition of Corbett Report Radio right after this. We're back here. We're back in the final moments of tonight's edition of Corbett Report Radio. Once again, my my apologies. I uh, got some of my wires crossed and some technical issues with that clip on that video that we were going to play. But for those who want to check it out, once again, the artist is called Chance Waters. The song is called Maybe Tomorrow. And, of course, I'll put the link to that video in the show notes for tonight's episode, as I think it is a catchy, fun little clip about uh, this doomsday end-of-the-world type of stuff. But here we are at the end of 2012, on the cusp of 2013, and uh, it's been quite a year. Um, Brock, how, how have things been for you for this year? Well, yeah, I mean, it's obviously uh, news-wise and geopolitically it has been difficult. Uh, and, you know, it's, as much as I'd love to, co- to uh, cover sunshine with lollipops and rainbows, it is important to uh, keep on top of these issues to get the information out there. And, um, you know, and that's what I've been, you know, so blessed that I've, been able to do that and um you know i just want to quickly say a big big thank you to you personally james for all the hard work you do you've done over the not only the life of the corporate report but especially this year and it's been great to see the corporate report grow from strength to strength and uh a lot of people out there i think don't really appreciate how much uh how much work it is actually to maintain the corporate report to the level that it is so a uh a huge thank you not only from me but i'm sure from all the listeners out there well, I truly do appreciate that. I really do. Um, of course, it's not about myself. It's about what it, how it affects people out there. So it's great also to hear when people say that it's inspired them to, to get involved in this and do some of their own work. So that's, that's what I'm here for. So um, thank you again for those kind words. And before we leave, of course, we want people to check out your work as well, because again, I, uh, I myself too have to keep up with this Asia Pacific region. So much news and information coming out. And I hope people will take a look at Asia Pacific perspective as one of the places they go to 
to keep informed about the region, let's tell people again how they can find you. Sure. Well, the website is uh, ap-perspective.blogspot.com. Um, I am in the process of getting a new domain name, so uh, everyone stay tuned for that, so it's a little bit easy to find for you all out there. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with me by emails, I'm definitely open for uh, news stories, tips, criticisms, comments. I'm open to it all. You can uh, either comment on any of the stories or get in touch with me at uh, ap-perspective at hotmail.com and on Twitter, uh, you can find me at ap underscore perspective. Uh, some clever bugger decided to take the other one. So, uh, yeah, I can be found at all three of those places. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. And once again, I hope people will check it out. Of course, that will be linked up in the show notes. So again, if you missed that, you can find it at corbettreport.com. All right, Brock. Well, I'm looking forward to continuing cover- covering the region in the year ahead. So let's, uh, let's plan on making 2013 even better than 2012. Look forward to it very much, James. Happy holiday to you and uh, to everyone out there. Thank you. All right, thank you. There he goes, Brock West, once again, ap-perspective.blogspot.com. And that's going to do it for us for tonight. And that's it for this Thursday, uh, Thursday night slash Friday afternoon end of the world episode. And, uh, well, all things being equal, I will be with you again 23 hours from now, same time, same channel. So I hope you'll be tuned in for that. As I say, there's a, a big announcement about some changes for the new year for the Corbett Report that you probably won't want to miss. So once again, that will be tomorrow night, Friday, 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on Republic Broadcasting. Looking forward to talking to you all once again. And that's going to do it for tonight. So once again, thank you all out there for listening and take care.